We're in our series, Bearing the Marks, the marks of being a follower of Christ. Where Paul, at the end of Galatians, says, Do not cause me any harm, for I bear upon my body the marks of Christ. We, too, as we go through life, like the Apostle Paul, receive marks. And we pray that these marks that we are receiving are making us look like Jesus. In fact, we have the promise of the Word of God in his scriptures that God is using everything, both good and bad, trouble and trial, sickness and in health. All things are working together for our good that we might look like Jesus at the end of the day. And so we rejoice, whether in plenty or in want, like Paul would say, and we're, we're grateful and we are joyful, whether the struggle is hard or the life seems like it's coasting. And we are continually thankful because we know that God is at work making us look like Christ. And to that end, we should rejoice. Reverend Ironsides back some time ago said this, when he talked about the mark of humility, that humility is not something that we bow down to. It's not something that we cause upon ourselves. But true humility comes when we stand against one who is greater than ourselves. And we measure ourselves against that great one. And then we find ourselves in want and in lack and realize how humble we truly are. And this morning we're going to do that. We're going to bring our life up against the life of Christ. We're going to put ourselves before His life, our works before His works, our righteousness before His righteousness, that we might bear the mark of humility and see the gulf that Jesus has crossed to make us look like Him. So we move into these verses. I move into them uh, and I'll, as I told you last week, these are difficult verses for me not to be emotional about and not to be passionate about, not to be um, to struggle through holding on to my voice and my emotions as I as I work through them. But I pray, too, that it will affect your heart. I pray, too, that it will move, that the spirit will move you to a place of contemplation and meditation that how we all might look more like Christ before the day is over. I look at these verses and I measure my own life and I come up and I realize that humility is like mercury. You know, the metal mercury, once you, once you get it, it just kind of slips through your fingers. Once you realize that you're being humble, all of a sudden you become proud of your humility. And uh, that, that paradox begins to happen. I, um, in my office, those of you who have been in there have seen a crest that my son made for me. It's a family crest. It goes back to the 1300s. It's the Bradford family crest from England. And down at the bottom of it, it says two words. It says pride and wisdom. It's been a generational struggle for my family for a long, long time, this issue of pride and trying to be humble. And even in humility, oftentimes I become very proud of my humility. But I think that's probably true for all of us, isn't it? That sometimes we struggle with pride, even when we think we're being humble. 
we move into our humility being something that we're bragging about, boasting about, maybe not outwardly, but maybe inwardly. It goes like this. I did such and such for so and so, and they never recognized it. I didn't even get a thank you note. Oh, well, I'm a good servant. That sound familiar? Or possibly, I normally don't tell anybody this. (laughs) You get it. But I saw a hungry person on the street the other day. And I normally don't give anything, but I did this day. I know we're not supposed to say this. But just as a teaching lesson, I want you to know I fasted last Friday. See, our... Our minds turn things around because we believe everything is about ourselves. And and self-righteousness is the most addictive drug that there is. Self-centeredness, self, is more addictive and more intoxicating than any other thing that we do. In fact... In most cases, it is the cause for our addictive behaviors. And the number one tool, vehicle that we use to inject that drug is pride. For years, we as human beings thought that we were the center of the universe. We thought that every star rotated around the earth. And for years, we spend years in our own lives thinking that everything in life rotates around us. But here in these verses, we find something completely different. We find that the universe doesn't rotate around myself. That the world isn't all about me. But that it really rotates around Jesus. And that it really is all about Him. How then do we stand in front of this holy, holy, holy person without humility? Without continually repenting? And Martin Luther would say that. Martin Luther would say this, that all of life is repentance. Where does humility come from? Humility comes from having a proper perspective of oneself in light of what's required. To have a proper perspective of oneself in light of what's required. When you and I stand and realize our standing before a thrice holy God, and the Hebrew technique of holy, holy, holy is for the readers to realize 
that God is so holy that we can't obtain what his holiness even means. That the threefold holy is for you and I to understand it's way beyond even our own comprehension it's so holy. So other than who we are. And yet we see the second person of this holy trinity, Jesus Christ, in these verses, coming down, condescending, humbling himself for the purpose of raising you and I up. To express a love for you and I that is so undeserved, so beyond the realm of our understanding that it will take a whole eternity to be deluged in it. Not only that, there's a theological concept called the humiliation of Christ. And it, it goes with these type of elements. That the one who was eternal, the one who was boundless, the one who was not captured by time, nor limited by flesh, subjected himself to the pains of birth, to the holy insemination of the Holy Spirit into the flesh of a woman, a young peasant woman. So that he might know the taste of ambiotic fluid. That he might know what it is to be dependent upon a Jewish handmaid. That he would go through the birthing process to suckle upon a human being for life. To have his pure self laid in a manured cave with beast of the field and his beautiful flesh on straw. To have feet that once walked on light and purity be gummed up with the dirt and the spittle and the mud and the matter of the earth. That he would go through growing pains. That he would be emotionally picked on and bullied. That he would know adolescence. That he would know what it is to sit under the very law that he had given. That he would go to Hebrew school and be sat and taught by men who he knew more than. Ultimately, to be rejected, denied, and to die a death on a cross of humiliation. 
These are the things. This is the reality that the second person of the Godhead has done for you and me. He humiliated himself to bring you his dignity and apply it to you. So that at his ascension, you also are raised with him. And at his enthronement, you and I are also enthroned with him. This is the humiliation and the glorification of Jesus and what he has done for you and me. Sometimes I find it difficult to give a shoebox. Sometimes I find it difficult to give a kind word. Why would I humble myself to do that? To be an encourager. To overlook a pain or a fault. Until I stand before Christ and I am humbled and I realize the humiliation of Jesus for me. And then I'm humbled. And it changes me. How do we begin to see this? How do we begin to understand what has transpired? Well, I think the first way is for you and I to understand humility is the doorway into the divine. Humility is the doorway into the divine by assessing the mind of Christ. Look with me at the fifth verse. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus. Have this mind. What mind? The mind of Christ. His attitude. His heart. His consciousness. Have that mind. In yourself. It's yours. In Christ. That's an astonishing verse. It's a powerful verse. It's a verse that should make us sit. In wonderment. But it's also one of those verses that could convict us and should convict us into transformation. That we are not dependent upon solely our own selfish fleshly ways. But that we have access to a different way. We have a doorway into a divine way. We have a mind of Christ that indwells us that we may come to. And then apply that to our thinking and our actions. In this humiliation of Jesus... 
part of the transference that happened in that was that he gave us the ability to think like he thinks. To see as he sees. And to act as he acts. Even more so, he promised you and I that we would do greater things than he even did on the earth. If we would believe this to be true. The reality of your existence and my existence as a follower of Christ is that you and I both have his mind within us to access for the transformation of our own way of thinking. It humbles me to think that the way that heaven thinks is available. It convicts me of how little I assess it. But it is the way I am to relate to God. It is the way that He speaks. Because in the humility of that mind, I realize my dependency upon His Word for me. I Realize the dependency for his way of thinking to be my way of thinking. I realize the desperation that I have when I look at the way the world and the way we all interact with one another in light of the way he interacts with me. And often the difference between the way I treat another person and the way Jesus would treat that person. But the mind is there. It is a gift. It is a mercy. And thereby it is a diligent duty. To begin to pursue in faithfulness. What does it mean for me to have the mind of Christ? And I want you to note, it's not just individually. It's let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. It's where you and I find common ground with each other as followers of Christ. It's where you and I can come together and say, let's seek what Christ would seek. You say, well, how do we know what that is? It's right here. Christ has told us what to seek and how to seek it and where to find it. Not only is humility the doorway to the divine, but humility is dissension descending into greatness. So contrary to the world, isn't it? We live in a world that 
we step on people, we push aside people, we get angry with people, we strive to get our way to the top, no matter the cost. If you don't protect yourself, who will? If you don't provide for yourself, who will? If you don't promote yourself, who will? We have periodicals and magazines and books all about self-promotion, self-determination, self-glorification, self-image, self. A whole culture bombarding us with the idea, it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you. And yet the scriptures show us that God did something completely different. That he made it all about us. And how he could minister to us. And how he could encourage us. And how he could lift us up. We sing songs sometimes. Let's say he brought heaven down. He didn't bring heaven down. It's a sweet song, and I get it. It's a good song. Not criticizing it. If it's your favorite song, don't write a letter. I'm using it only for a point. Jesus didn't bring heaven down. He has brought you up to where he is. How did he do that? By descending down into greatness. Look at verse 6 through 8 with me. Have this mind among yourselves, who is yours of Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Living out the purpose of Jesus in our own life. I've debated whether to go into this or not, but we will. The idea that Paul, or the reality that Paul is explaining here, is that we came from a fleshly father, Adam, who back in the garden found equality with God something to be grasped. And the partaking of the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were partaking of a fruit that was a huge statement of saying, we want equality with God. We want to know exhaustively all good. We want to know exhaustively all evil. We want to know everything that God knows because we don't want God. We want to be our own God. We find ourselves able to take hold, to grasp that fruit as equality with God. 
And yet we find God, the Son, coming in the form of you and I to be obedient to what God intentionally wanted Adam to do, that Jesus comes as the better Adam, the perfect Adam, and does not use his deity as a hammer over us, but submits himself as a servant to all of us. And not finding equality something to be grasped, he identifies as our better Adam and a servant for you and I. For what purpose would he do that? So that in the same way, or in the opposite way, I should say, that Adam, by grasping hold and thinking that he might be God, brought death upon us. Jesus, as our better Adam, our spiritual Adam, our perfect Adam, stays obedient to the call in which God had given him so that we might have life in him. In the breaking of the promise by the one man, many died, is the way Paul would put it. But in the obedience of the man Jesus, many shall live. And so Jesus comes as a servant to each of us. How did he perform his servanthood? By the washing of your feet and my feet. And then the step beyond unto the naked shame of being spread eagle on a piece of wood and dying for your sin and mine. He was a servant even unto our death, serving us with his death so that you and I might never know the sting and the darkness of death. Oh, the body may die, for sure. The flesh will die. But we never taste it. We never know it. Because Jesus has promised that in his servitude to us, that he would never leave us alone, he would never abandon us, that we would never know what it's like to be in the cold, dark blackness of death. But we know that because of his victory on the cross, to die, to fall asleep, is to be present with Jesus. That's how he served you. And that's how he served me. That's how he humiliated himself. The one who in, is in life, is eternal life, perished so that you might know eternal life. How did he accomplish that? Through obedience. In the way that Adam failed in disobedience, the real Adam, the true Son of God, succeeded with perfect obedience. In the way that the old Adam's disobedience is applied to my flesh, the real Adam 
the true son of God's obedience is applied to my spirit. And his righteousness is your righteousness. And his righteousness is my righteousness. Because he humiliated himself to condescend to earth that he might humble me by bringing me up to heaven and to his throne with him. Not only is humility the doorway to the divine and humility descending into greatness, but we learn from Jesus the humility that is in his name, bearing his family crest. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, followers of Christ, beloved ones, it is your birthright to carry the name Christ as you call yourself Christian. That in his name you find your origin. In his name you find your genealogy. In his name you find your DNA. Let me save you 50 bucks. No need to do a swab test. You are his. He is your Lord. And because of that, we are humbled. Because his name is the highest name and he has bestowed upon you and I all the benefits and the beneficiaries of that name, we bow. There are two ways to bow before Jesus. The first way to bow is in humble recognition of your Lord. The name above all names. Your Savior. Your King. Your Beloved. Your Glory. Your Confidence. Your Provision. Your Eternal Life. To recognize Him for who He is and say, Lord, I love You. Lord, I adore You. Lord, I am compelled to fall on my knees before Your glorious throne. And there's another way. Lord, I fall in shame that I have rejected You. I recognize You now as the King of all kings and how I missed it. I hear even the voices of hell scream, He is the Lord. Only one way for us to be in that prior group 
And it goes all the way back to the beginning of the sermon. That we have the mind of Christ. Because without the mind of Christ, we can't recognize who Christ is. You remember the words of our Lord? If you love me, you will obey me. That obedience... is the fruit of humility. Obedience is the fruit of humility. The question is, obedient to what? He didn't make it complicated. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. They're inseparable. You can't love God and not love your neighbor, and you can't love your neighbor and not love God. Let me put it to you a different way. Anybody know the very first commandment in the Decalogue? Commandment number one out of the ten? Huh? You know what number ten is? The first four are about God. Loving God. The rest are about loving your neighbor. All Jesus has done in giving us the way to obedience is taken the Ten Commandments and narrowed them down into two, summarizing them into two commandments, love God, love your neighbor. And for us to do anything different is to say, Lord, I'll do these six, but I'm not doing those four. Or I'll do these four, but I'm not doing these six. He's called us to reflect Jesus and his humility by serving one another. And as the world and the church and those around us see how we love and serve one another, guess what? Their tongues confess that Jesus is Lord. What are the next steps? How do we begin to move into this? How do we begin to cross the threshold of humility? I just want to read something from Colossians. It's from the third chapter. You can go back and look at it later. It's just the first four verses. Colossians 3. Paul talking about the status, our state of being. If then you have been raised with Christ, which you have been, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind 
on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Practice that. Seek to move into that. Understand you have already conquered this world. Your destiny is not here. Your destiny is with Him. And it's already accomplished. Begin to walk and talk and think that way. And you will experience more and more of God in your life. Secondly, As I said earlier, obedience is the practice of humility. Begin to intentionally, whether you don't feel like it or you feel like it. Feelings are very deceptive. But truth, objective truth is real. Love. Determine to love. And then thirdly, in light of all of this, begin to realize that you are an object of glory. Begin to live like an object of glory. God has relentlessly loved you and I and will do so for all of eternity. He will never cease to pour his love out on you and me. There will never come a time when God stops loving you. Because of his son, Jesus. Live like one who believes that.